This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 100 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. The Unwanted Horse Part 2. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our title sponsor is Omega Alpha. You can find them at omegaalpha.ca. Also, Equestrian Collections. You can visit them at equestriancollections.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. This is Glenn the Geek from Lexington, Kentucky. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Oh, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, Helena. It's show number 100. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we'd get the Flintstones in there to help us a little bit. I love the Flintstones. Uh, I know. I think they have the best anniversary song ever. I know. I think I married Barney Rubble. (laughs) (laughs) You married Barney? (laughs) If you ever ever want to know what my husband is like, he's Barney Rubble. That's kind of true, actually, now that I think about it. It. Uh, he's yeah. the cutest ever. <laughs> Except he cooks. He does cook. So I don't know if Barney cooked, but he, uh, he is a good cook. But yeah, you're kind of right. Yeah. And you're more like, um, what was uh, uh, Fred's wife? Uh, Wilma? Yeah, you're more like Wilma. I'm more like Wilma? All right. Yeah. I look like Betty. Yeah, you do kind of look like Betty, though. You're I'm, right. Yeah. I don't have her figure. <laughs> <laughs> But I do, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let, so so we're at one hundred. One hundred episodes, and we I have something special planned for a couple to celebrate one hundred uh, today. Of course, we're doing part two of the Unwanted Horse series, which was recorded by the uh, by our friends Alan and Jimmy K over at the Western Radio Show here on the Horse Radio Network. So we wanted to continue and and do part two of that series because we thought it was that important. But we'll have a little celebrating here come the next couple of episodes, too. We've been uh, sure been down the pike. We have done a lot of shows. And if you figure it out, we've probably had 150 guests on the show. Wow. So it's been a, a whole lot of talking where we have been doing. And people are listening. We've got a couple emails here. I wanted to give a shout-out to Susan. Uh, she says she listens on her way to work. She has an hour commute. And uh, she, she's uh, been listening to us on a regular basis. I want to give a shout-out to her. We hope, hope that we help you on your Howard commute make it go a little faster. Is that the woman from L.A.? The, you know is what? I think it is. I think, I think it is, actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, we loved your email, Susan. 
Thank you. Yes, we appreciate that. And keep listening. Tell all your friends. And also, uh, we had an email from Amy, who I've been emailing back and forth about uh, a number of things. She's been a regular listener. And she actually wrote to us regarding Kathleen. She, she, uh, and she said, yes, even though I thought her trip was not well planned, I do enjoy listening to the updates and have really been happy to hear how well she has been received as she goes. You know, folks are always saying how people have no humanity anymore how you can't trust anyone, et cetera, et cetera. But this makes me sure that the majority of the Americans have big hearts and naturally want to be very kind and helpful to each other. Thanks again, Amy. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Amy. And you're absolutely right. That's the one thing that Helene and I have both learned from Kathleen's wild ride across this country is the reception that she's getting. Has You know, she's had some tough times with the horses and problems with the saddles and all that stuff. But the one thing that has been consistent is the generosity of, of people as she goes from state to state. And and it's a learning. It's a, it's an education, you know. It, it, it's if you don't make mistakes, you you plan for something, but you can never plan for every single detail. And those that you miss, you learn from. And therein lies your education. You know, there are things that you know you're going to learn along the way, and things that you will be surprised to learn. And the thing I like best about Kathleen's Wild Ride is that we're right there learning along with her. And we have her on here, and we wanted to get an update for this week. And she, speaking about learning, she she learned a couple of lessons this week. <laughs> Indeed. So here she is. Well, hi, Kathleen, and welcome back to Stable Scoop. We've gotten some emails this week of people following you week by week and following your journey and adventures, and there certainly has been a few of those. So now, you're on another break from what I hear. Yeah, we're on a Every break. time we talk to you, you're just sitting around eating, hanging around, that bonbons in front of the TV set. Well, now, technically, I'm not hanging around eating. I'm walking four and a half miles into town. It's four and a half miles out of town. Well, that'll so wear off anything you ate. <laughs> Are you walking right now? Are you walking right now? No, I've stopped. I stopped okay. on the side of the road. Uh, well, but you're, you're in, in the, the middle of your walk. You're, you're in, in the middle, middle of your walk. Are you right? going no, to town to get I'm, lunch? Or? I'm a half a mile from town. Oh, okay. Huh? okay. Are you, we going into town to get lunch? or? Uh... I'm going into town to put another update on my blog because people keep m- messaging Mary and saying <laughs> I don't make enough entries. So, you know what? I'm walking nine miles for you people, so I don't want to hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> now, you yes. had to, you're still in Idaho, right? Yes, I'm in Montpelier. <laughs> so, so, how far have we gone since last week we talked to you, you think? Um... We went. 60 miles. 60 miles. Okay. And and you had uh, you, the, the how about the sores on your on on Mystic's back? Mystic's back sores are actually completely healed up. She's just oh, throwing hair back right now and she'll be fully healed on those back sores probably in the end of the next week. <laughs> but I saw that you have to change saddles back to the original one again. You let's start, you started with a jumping saddle because of your back cuz it it just fit you right. better. And then and then we had you switched over to an Australian saddle, right? Right, because the Mystic's back. And but the oh, Australian saddle, but the Australian saddle doesn't fit so well. No, it's for a wide tree, and Mystic is not a wide horse, and so it has been sitting on her withers. And I have been patting it up as much as I can to get it off, but unfortunately, sitting on her withers for sixty miles made another sore. So now we're waiting here for that to heal up before we go on, because I won't ride her until her back isn't sore. Right. Well, I want to make it worse. And you're going to go back to your jumping saddle, but uh, maybe back there's to my a... jumping saddle yeah. on a temporary basis until we find one that actually fits her perfectly. Okay. And we're keeping the pads that we got that have the cutouts where the saddle swords were, so that we won't have a repeat of the saddle swords. Okay. 
And and you have a generous person who's going to offer to uh, to find you a new saddle that fits properly. Yes, I have a generous person who's offered to find me a new saddle as much as I'm fighting him tooth and nail. <laughs> you sure you're not a Yankee? <laughs> you might be. It sounds like it, doesn't it? We always do things the hard I way. Have a hard time. All right, so so you went sixty miles, and um, and and it was a that's all a long sixty. I mean, hey, six miles is long for me. Tell me a little bit about um, you know, your last blog entry was on Wednesday. It was a long day. Um, well, what's this about murderous ducks? <laughs> well, you know. We've had several run-ins with ducks in Mystic, and, you know, I was thinking that she was just a big baby, and then she got on my blog and made an entry about the ducks, and, well, yesterday, or I say, Monday when we were riding, sorry, a truck. I hear the cars <laughs> go by. <laughs> we, had, <laughs> we had cranes flying up by us at the side of the road, red-tailed hawks flying back and forth in front of her, and even a vulture or two leap up as he went by, and she didn't even look at them. So I've decided it is only ducks that she's afraid of because they are vicious, killing animals. Yes, we, we know this. Yes, we, those of us who have been chased by ducks. <laughs> Evil ducks. Well, you I know, have to say that that ride was gorgeous. Going through the Rockies in that section was absolutely beautiful. I heard it you ran, so in, ran I heard you ran into the uh, state bird of Idaho, too. <laughs> the mosquito. The mosquito. Oh. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. We did really actually twice. We did twice because we did it on the mountain and we got mobbed for a good hour, but then we found a very nice camper who let us have some deep woods off, which we sprayed ourselves with from top to bottom. But then we got hit again coming through town because we went across the swamp to get where we're staying in, in the dark and we got killed. <laughs> so I look like I have the measles. And now we're talking to you from heaven. <laughs> yes. So, so went, so you went... reception up here, huh? <laughs> yeah, it is, actually. It's best we've had yet. Hey, and you know what you don't want to see? The birds you don't want to see are the vultures circling. Um, that's a bad sign. <laughs> well, so where, how long will you be uh, laid up in Montpelier? Which Is Montpelier the capital? Why do I remember? No. no. Okay. Why do I remember Montpelier? That's Vermont. That's Vermont. Oh, gotcha. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Montpelier is actually a really cool little town. I'm sad I'm here a month early because in a month they reenacted bank robbery where Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid hit the town bank. <laughs> oh, that's cool. A little entertainment <laughs> on your cross-country trip. <laughs> And I heard you ran in. I saw too on Facebook. And by the way, everybody can follow her on Facebook at Kathleen's Wild Ride. Just search for Kathleen's Wild Ride. I saw on Facebook that you also ran into some other uh, other people on uh, out on a trip on horseback. Was that right? Yeah, I ran into a scout camp trip. So they were out on a pack trip on horseback, and I very kindly decided to let them go in front of me because I was letting my horses catch their breath. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that because I ended up having to stop every 50 yards because <laughs> we kept catching oh. up to them. <laughs> they were much slower than us. See, it's the horse. The horses aren't proving to be problematic at all. It's the people and the and the trucks. <laughs> so no. now, now, what's um? How is delightful feeling through all this? We talk a lot about Mystic. We talk about you. What's delightful going? What's she doing? She's doing awesome. Her, her, she's so fit right now. She's going to be amazing. I mean, she goes up for sale at the end of this trip, so she'll be totally broke. But she has <laughs> everything, sure. no issue. Totally broke and fit. 
if she's really fit, her her sores that she had gotten a while ago are completely healed up. You know, Good. she's just doing awesome, except for when the mosquitoes went after her, she had an absolute fit. I have never seen a horse have a fit about mosquitoes so much in my life, but she did. Mm. Well. She did not like that at all. And is, it, is she easier now to lead and everything? Is everything's going better as a pack oh, horse yeah. lead? She's, yeah. She's doing much better as a pack horse. Um, she barely slows down for anything now. It's kind of a little re- regretting going back to my jumper saddle because I won't have a horn to dally till, which means I'll be holding mm. that rope the whole time again. But hopefully that's a short-lived issue. Yeah, do you, you really don't fun? want to tie it to your belt, do you? No, no. <laughs> I thought if I just sit on it, but that actually... Bring a whole new world of hurt that I don't want to go <laughs> <laughs> At least not on that side of the Okay, I just saw, you know, like a Three Stooges moment there for a... <laughs> <laughs> do you carry, like, bug spray with you or, or, or fly oh, spray? Oh, yeah, I do. I have bug spray, and I had fly spray. The fly spray came out of my pack a couple of days right back, and I could, I didn't hear it fall. I would have gone back and picked it up. Oh. And my bug spray, for some strange reason, I left inside the packs. And so to get off and unpack it to get it would have taken like half an hour while we would have been creamed the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had to get off and open a pasture gate over a cattle guard. Yeah, there was lots of language that small children should not be around going on. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, you, I sure hope you're writing all this down. I really do. <laughs> trying to. <laughs> all right, Kathleen. So when do you hope to head out again? Um, I should be out of here tomorrow, okay. um, Saturday at the absolute latest. And then what, where, where, to, where are you heading towards uh, next? You'll be heading where? We're going next? to Cokeville. Which is in um, Wyoming. Wyoming, yep. Okay. okay. And you'll right, be so... below the national parks, it looks like, at that point. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's a, we've got a pretty good ride, pretty just to stop until I get to Rock Springs. And then there's a whole lot of nothing. Whew. Hopefully there'll be some reception. Yeah, Just you're get, you know what? Pick up some flares, Kathleen. Pick up some flares. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Exactly. Go well, low tech. Just get you those carrier pigeons. I could use carrier. <laughs> yeah, we could. We could get you a little recorder. You can just send them back the little tape. well kathleen good luck in heading out here again thank you very much for joining us and uh we'll let you continue your walk in to find the uh, latest bacon cheeseburger joint oh thank you very much Uh. (laughs) take care and have fun i will talk to you guys next week okay bye well, we're back, and we thank Kathleen for joining us on her hike into town. That was uh, nice of her to put, you know, walk off the road and join us. Uh, you could hear the trucks and cars going by, and you could hear the mosquito swarms just <laughs> oh, trying I to know, find her. Girl. Oh, that <laughs> poor girl! You live in a part of the country too where there's where you had in New England. They have something that's called the is the green fly, right? The green head, oh, the most painful God. biting fly <laughs> in the world. They come out for like one month. Uh, in July, coming up, right? Yeah, they they breed in salt marsh. Uh, they lay their eggs on salt marsh grass, so they're really they're they're focused around salt marshes, not just all of New England, but a few select New England beaches. Well, where we lived with you for for two years, they were they were prevalent, and they would come out. It was the oddest thing; they'd come out for like two or three weeks, mm-hmm. but during those two or three weeks, you didn't want to be outside. Period. No, and they posted signs at the beach that said "Greenheads are out, no refunds." <laughs> I swear to God. They're yeah. nasty, and they're green. They are green. They're big green heads. But you know what? We don't have them here in Rhode Island. Oh, really? 
Oh, no, nope. gre- <laughs> that's a good thing. Because we do have ho- deer flies and they're. <laughs> you had to feel bad for the horses when the greenheads were out. It was just bad. Uh, well, yeah, because, I mean, we lived in an area where a lot of stables were we were not too far from the beach. So that the greenheads would fly inland a little bit and just terrorize the horses. Ugh, and the people and everybody pretty much. So you pretty much hibernated in the house for those three weeks and went through a gallon of fly spray on each horse. Yeah, uh, we turned we just turned them out at night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember the Greenheads. I have, I have uh, memories of them. You, you, they're not easy to forget. <laughs> and I remember the warnings when we first got there saying, ooh, hey, Greenhead season's coming. We're going, what the heck's a Greenhead? Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we appreciate Kathleen being on. We're going to take a break here, and then we're going to be back with our, uh, with our second part of our series uh, that was done by the, our friends at the Western Radio Show that we thought that you would be very interested in. So here is uh, a word from our newest title sponsor, Omega Alpha. That's the coolest name, too, by the way. Well, Helena, Omega Alpha Pharmaceuticals creates only natural health products. Their scientists, guided by Dr. Gordon Chang, formulate a wide variety of mainly herbal health products to address many equine health problems. And I have on the line here Kyle Carter, who is an international eventer and well-known throughout the eventing world, who uses Omega Alpha products. Kyle, I understand that you started using uh, Omega Alpha about a year ago. Yeah, I've, I've been using it for about a year and have noticed a remarkable difference in the horses that have been on it. And then um, if, they've, if they've come off of it, the horse's health always has been better on it. Um, it's one of the few supplement companies that I wholeheartedly believe in. Well, thank you, Kyle. You know, Omega Alpha brings consumers the perfect marriage of nature and science. Look for all of their products at retailers nationwide or visit their website at omegaalpha.ca. That's omegaalpha.ca. Well, we thank Omega Alpha for joining the party here on the Stable Scoop Show. We appreciate that. Well, you know, Helena, people are enjoying, I think, this uh, series that they did uh, at Alan and Jimmy K did over on the Western Radio Show. Mm-hmm. And they ta- spoke to Dr. Don Hoagland, who is a veterinarian who wrote the book called Nobody's Horses, The Dramatic Rescue of the Wild Herd in, of White Sands. And he's dealing with the unwanted Mustang issue and, and everything that's involving that. And I did just notice that they were doing the latest roundup uh, out in the west of, of the Mustangs by helicopter. And I don't know if you saw these stories, but apparently a number of the horses, it was very hot, and a number, like 12 of the Mustangs died during the roundup. I can't hear. I can't. I well, can't. there's good news to this. A federal okay. judge has now stepped in and ordered the roundup to be halted. So thank goodness for the federal judge out there, and we give you kudos for, uh, for stepping in and, and, and stopping it, at least at this point, while it's so hot. So It's just, you know what, death and, and suffering, uh, that, that uh, I guess it's the only way that people are going to stop and listen. Well, and, you know, thankfully there was somebody paying attention at this point. There's a lot of advocates out there now. But let's, let's, uh, let's hear the other side, you know, or the both. Actually, uh, yes, yes. I think Dr. Don really covers both sides and talks about what's going on and, and what the whole complex issue is. And it certainly is complex. If you didn't hear the first part of it, go back to episode 99 at StableScoop.com and take a listen to that. And then this is the second part of that interview. And Helene and I will be back after they're done. 
Well, Dr. Don Hoagland, thanks for joining Jimmy K and myself again on the Western Radio Show this week. Glad to have you with us. Jimmy and Alan, it's great to be with you again. How's life down in Texas there, Jimmy? It's great. It's great, a little hot and humid, but other than that, it's always wonderful. And Texas, bigger and better. You know how it goes. Where are you this week? Are you in uh, North Carolina or in New Mexico? I am in North Carolina this week. Well, that's awesome. I happen to be in Texas myself. I'm in East Texas at the beautiful Martha Josie, R.E. Josie Ranch, laying over between a couple of rodeos. And uh, uh, it's hot in Texas, that's for sure. I guarantee you. Uh, you know, we were talking about the unwanted horse, Dr. Don, and uh, and I know that at the end of our show last week, uh, there were a lot of great points coming in and out about the, the unwanted horse, whether it's just free roamers, the wild horse, or the uh, domesticated, turned-out horses. Uh, expound on some of the thoughts and, and why you have such a passion for uh, rectifying the problem of the unwanted horse. Well, it's a great question, but it takes us back eons of time in order to get to a logical conclusion about some of the solutions. The very first question that comes before us is, what do we mean by an unwanted horse? And it baffles people when we step back for a minute and, and we hear discussion about, well, let's deal with the unwanted horse dilemma. What, what is an unwanted horse? Is he sick? Is he injured? Is he old? Is he outgrown his usefulness? Did the, did the young person who had him need a little bit more horsepower? Was he end up being too dangerous? Was he too expensive? Was he burdensome? Did he have some kind of an infirmity or did he, you know, what, a life-threatening disease? Did he have a behavioral problem or was he just by, too mean? Right. How do we decide, quote-unquote, what an unwanted horse is? If that's going to be the case and we, and we want to get to a firm set of solutions, we have to understand the history. Then we have to understand how we define the population of those horses. Right. And then we have to take a look at the unknown, Alan. And, and the unknowns are this. If we have, truly have, quote, unquote, an unwanted horse, uh, what breed is it? What uh, was the sex of the horse? What was the average age of horses coming into this undefined pool of unwanted horses? Were they purebred? Were they gray? What was their most recent occupation? You know, and what were they worth? But more importantly... If we define them as unwanted, what, what pool are they falling into? Are they are they domestic side horses, or are they from the so-called wild group of horses? And hence, we've got to get down to what do we exactly mean by that? Unwanted well, horse. Dr. Don, that that hits on an interesting uh, point that maybe if someone missed our show last week, they they may not realize. But we had discussed the unwanted horses on on the White Plains of New Mexico, and I had always just assumed that they were mustangs, but they're in fact they were derived from domesticated horses from uh, like Charles Goodnight. That's what you told us last and, and week. Good we, bred horses. <laughs> really good bred horses. Absolutely. Uh, a really different group of horses. So let's review just briefly. One, we have roughly two populations of horses in the United States. Let's call it North America, which would include Canada. Right. We have the domesticated side, which is, excuse me, and I'll even correct myself, they're all domesticated. They domesticated 35 to 4,500 years ago. We have the domestic pool of horses, which are privately owned, running in the neighborhood of about 9 million horses. 85% are in the backyard or uh, personally owned rec recreation type horses, including performance sport horses. And the other group are the free-roaming horses. And that group of free-roaming horses is broken down into several pools, one of which is those protected by the Act of 1971, the Wild Free-Roaming Horses and Burrow Act, which only protects horses on 
Department of Interior and USDA lands from 1971, where they existed at that time. And then there are free roaming horses on Native American lands owned by the Native Americans, on military lands owned by the military, which is not public, not public horses, which includes that White Sands, New Mexico pool of horses that I went to capture in, in 2005 for the, for the Army. The pool of horses on White Sands Missile Range, which, of which my book, Nobody's Horses, spawned, were former ranch horses that were in the area at the time when that 2 million acres or 4,000 square miles was harvested by the military to detonate the first atomic bomb, bringing in that dark age of atomic warfare. Those horses had a, had a very great ranching history behind them, all emanating originally out of great West Texas ranches. So what we have to do before we can... Gray Badger, didn't it? Uh, these horses did, uh, uh, many of the horses originated from the original gray badger of 1908 to 1916 fame, knowing that he had one son named Midnight. And Midnight spawned all of the badger horses that we have today if they were in fact named badger as a result of Midnight lineage in their, in their pedigree. So, so you're saying with, with your theories on, on the domesticated horses and, and all horses, there, there's not a true wild horse that is out there anymore, it, it, be it a Mustang even? I mean, when you're talking about going back to the 4,500s of years ago to where uh, all were domesticated, so so basically they've been domesticated, turned out horses that are all wild, in the wild, and free-roaming now. Boy, does that question generate a lot of furry vengeance. And <laughs> that vengeance that that we have to deal with at the moment is to decide that we are, in fact, going to place definitions on things. For instance, human construct, the word feral, meaning gone loose, once domesticated, gone loose. So we've got to be sure that when we say domesticated, we're referring, what ha referring to what happened to the breed. It was came into conjunction with man and developed a relationship by which we call them, by definition, domesticated. Right. The word domestic refers to privately owned animals falling under the protections of our U.S. Constitution. The Mustang, on the other hand, is a word that means uh, ownerless, like the maverick cattle were ownerless cattle until somebody gathered them up and made them private property. The Mustang, the Spanish barred Mustang, the feral horse, the free-roaming horse, and the wild horse are all connotations that we've given to an animal that we revere in, in our relationship with the horse and through the history of man and the horse through time. The issue is this, are they truly wild? Well, if we run scientific definition to it, and we have a wildlife biologist in front of us, they're going to tell you that there are no wild horses. Perhaps a Przewalski horse, perhaps one or two, an African zebra on the equine site. But with respect to Equus calibus, the horse, the wildlife biologist would tell you we don't have any wild horses. Now, in order to keep from getting into any more fur in the vengeance of that argument, I would then suggest call them what you want to call them and, and be happy with what you're calling. Understand that the, the real difference between the domestic horse and the free-roaming horse of any kind is who owns him. And there is ownership, and we are a nation of laws. And currently, we believe in private property as a part of our constitutional right. right. So if you have a Mustang, call him a Mustang. I'm fine and happy with that. Call him wild, and I do at times refer to them as wild. But in order to placate all of the arguments sitting in the same room, free roaming never engenders an argument when I call that same animal a free roaming animal.
So that's kind of the neutral ground. Free roaming is 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 the politically correct word, so everyone knows what what, the, what page we're on with the horses. Then. And it does. It allows it, for, it allows any discussion with any group, uh, advocacy group, pro or con about our equine species. It allows us to move forward. So we don't get bogged down and saying, well, by golly, those are wild, or by golly, they're Mustang. How about we call them free roaming for right now? Everybody in the room sit down and relax, and let's move forward with the issue of what pool are they in, who owns them, and, and how do we deal with them legally? That, that is right. the end result of the discussion. Yeah, that's a great point, because around my house, if, if you step in a stirrup and, and they crow hop a little, they're, they're wild to me. They're wild. I'm telling you right now, I'm too old for that. Well, then that means that means every animal in my backyard is considered yeah, wild. Exactly. All my roping horses and all of my cutting horses are all wild. Yeah, and for that, yeah. and for that scientist that says that they're all like that, he says, let them get on one of them two-year-olds and try him and see if he's not wild after he's been in the barn for a while, too. Exactly. Run him under a saddle. Let me, let me know yeah. how that works out for you. The equalizer. Yeah, all right. exactly right. Exactly right. And now we mentioned some numbers last week, Dr. Don, uh, 34,000 head of horses that are right now pinned up. And uh, and one of my questions, and I know that there would be a question in a lot of folks' mind, is uh, if they're free roaming, if they're healthy and that kind of a thing, uh, why now to intervene, and uh, especially the economy like it is, because uh, you and I spoke earlier today about the fact that uh, there are individuals who have the horse at home that's having a hard time paying the feed bill, and uh, and you and I agreed we have never seen anyone turn one out, but there's a lot of stories and reports of people just turning out their horses. Uh, in a comparison with that, as to the horses that are in the wild, why would we need to take care of those before the others? Well, very long and arduous task to march through why the human does what they do. <laughs> but let's, but let's suggest that, by and large, we all have a positive view of our human counterparts throughout the world, and especially in North America. Let's look at the history of how we got into a horse dilemma problem, and then we'll separate it down into those pools of horses that we talked about earlier right. and try and decide what is the cost of an unwanted horse if he has, in fact, now been defined and we can decide what he is and and what are the populations, roughly, as we knew of them, say, back in 2007? But let's look at the history. And, and then when we're done with that, let's take a look at how, how we deal with the, with the animal, the end-of-life decisions, the carcass disposal issues, and then perhaps even a little bit on the legislation that's floating around out there for protections or relieving protections, as it were. But let's look at the history. Roughly in the, this time of round, let's say we have iterations of problems when the in the wild and problems in our domestic pools, roughly as capitalism goes, and that's as the economy rises and falls, we tend to have, uh, our animals tend to get a short end of the stick. But in 2001, we had a foot and mouth outbreak in Europe that resulted in increased demand for horse meat in Europe. And as a result of that, lots of horses were leaving other places of the world and heading over for Europe for whatever dining table or whatever intent that protein was intended for. Yeah, that drew a lot of immediate attention. Now, let's keep in mind that's 2001. Now, if it was really a fired-up, energy-driven argument, the advocacy saying you can't send those horses to Europe, why did nothing happen until 2005? And the reason nothing happened is there wasn't the wild horse advocacy energy behind stopping 
the movement of those horses over to Europe, however they got there, or the movement of their tissue over to Europe. In 2005, Conrad Burns slipped that rider into the omnibus spending bill, and it removed the commercial prohibition to slaughter protections for the free roaming horse group. Wow. That meant about 8,000 horses after failing to adopt, after three concerted efforts, those free roaming horses in holding facilities, ranging to up to 34,000 total horses, 8,000 of them could face commercial slaughter. Now, that word slaughter just engenders the worst argument. So let's suggest that uh, an end-of-life decision could be made on a commercial basis for those horses. The animal advocacy groups protecting the free-roaming horse, the so-called wild horse, rose up in arms, and they shut by virtue of sheer numbers and effect and vocal discord, shut down the three slaughter plants that we had. Now, okay, that's part of the discussion. Now we have, we have slaughter plants in the United States not working, but we still have transport from, to Mexico to slaughter plants for the harvesting of that tissue and to Canada still open, and they're still open today, and that, that route's still going. But not a single formerly wild horse, not a single Mustang, not a single one of the BLM horses that I personally know of has ever been sent for commercial processing. And there are strict, strict laws against uh, packing plants or meat processors from using the free-roaming horse. But let's take a look at 2007 consensus said that roughly, and remember, we were always about 2,000 years, uh, two, two years out in order to accumulate good empirical data. We had about 34,000 horses heading to Canada. We had about 58,000 in the United States. We had about 45,000 heading to Mexico, 58,000 being uh, processed annually in the U.S. And so roughly, we had somewhere in the neighborhood of about 8,000 free-roaming horses that weren't quote-unquote wanted into a total of somewhere between 100 and 170,000 unwanted horses in the year 2007. Okay, that's all fine and well. But it, let's say we had 100,000 horses. What was the cost of disposal of any one of those horses? And the, the annual World Food Agribusiness Forum in South Dakota determined that it cost about $200 per head to dispose of a horse. And we'll decide where we dispose of him in general. But on average, it costs about 200 bucks a head to dispose of him. If there's 100,000 horses, that's roughly 20 million a year across North America. But it costs 2,350 bucks to feed him, take care of him. That's 234 million versus 20 million. It was an economic argument. If you didn't want the horse, what were your avenues to send that horse somewhere else? And including disposal life, end-of-life decisions. So what are the ways that we can dis dispose of one of these horses? We can bury them. That's going to cost you 200, 250 to 500 bucks. So you can take him to the landfill. That's around 500 bucks or a little less than that in some places. You can render him 250 bucks. You can cremate him or incinerate him for anywhere from 600 to 2,000 bucks. You can compost him. It takes 10 months. Uh, that doesn't cost too much. Or you can use biodigesters, which cost up to 1100 bucks. The end result of our entire discussion here and all these numbers is that, one, we don't have a firm idea of how many are unwanted on the one hand, including both pools of horses, the domestic side privately owned or the free-roaming side. We don't have a great uh, grasp of just exactly how many is that, 100,000 horses or 170,000. And we don't know exactly why these horses are deemed unwanted. 
So until we have that kind of empirical, empirical data, where it's hard and fast, how do you make a decision about where to put your energy? How do you, how do you, what side of this fence are you going to drop down on when the data, the white paper that you get, is not an accurate bunch of white paper? So first of all, so we don't know how many horses there are, and we don't know why they're deemed unwanted. We don't know their sex, et cetera. And you know, Dr. Don, I think to me, because I have this this conversation with a lot of people because I'm in the rodeo industry, uh, and we've real talk later about hum, uh, animal rights versus animal welfare, but the thought of putting down one of those horses that are healthy and and active and doing great just breaks my heart. But it also breaks my heart the amount of dogs and cats that we have to put away on a, on a yearly basis because there is no room for them, there's no one to pay for them, there's no one to take care of them. And I think a lot of the arguments from people is a lot of passion. People get so passionate about animals and they lack the, the information like you're talking about to make a an educated decision. And what I don't understand is, is with the dogs and the cats around the United States, we try to adopt those out, but we also have programs to save them and neuter them to keep them from reproducting. Why don't we do something like that? You mentioned that, I guess, off the air last time. Why don't we do something like that with, with the horses, the free roam horses? Well, in fact, a number of veterinary schools, the American Veterinary Medical Association, many of the animal science schools across the country are, are educating students day by day by day to talk about this very issue of can you afford an animal before you get it? Can you afford him producing for as a meat producing animal? Uh, what are you going to do if the animal gets sick? Do you understand the economics of what happens when an animal gets sick? Uh, what do you do if you don't want to own your horse anymore? What if you've got a child that's going to leave home pretty soon? Uh, what if you plan to relocate? All of those things are, quote, education for determining should you get a horse in the first place, i.e., the Christmas pony. Please right. don't get the Christmas pony. Please don't get the pony on that. Uh, right. Don't purchase your animals from puppy mills and that sort of thing. But what you want to do is ask responsible questions. On the other hand, you have to be willing to step back and understand we are a country of laws and we have private property law. And that says you have rights to own private property. And on the domestic side, that domestic pool of horses, the domestic pool of dogs and cats, tells us that they are our private property and they are not considered, uh, we are not considered as merely stewards or as uh, guardians of these animals, but rather we have them in ownership. The question is now moral issue, what is the definition of being responsible? But let's also drop back and pay tribute a little bit to the actual numbers. If we had 100,000 horses, we've got less than roughly right around 1% of our horse population falls under the banner of unwanted. That's a very, very small number. It used to be handled by the processing facilities, the quote, the packing, packing plants. Why did the argument come up that we can't process that tissue for human consumption? Now, frankly, I don't want to eat a horse. I don't have any intention of eating a horse. I don't have any intention of sending my horse anywhere that I don't have strict rule over him uh, while yeah, I have him. I'm not going to send him to slaughter. That's my personal right. But, you know, as ownership, we have to deal with private property law before we can start changing anything else about his revolving it around the slaughter of horses. Right. For instance, you can, as a public uh, a person of our public, an American citizen, you can 
suggest to your congressman that you stop USDA from inspecting meat for a horse intended for human consumption. Well, what about intended for dog consumption? What about intended for garden consumption, my tomatoes? So without being facetious about the argument, the question is, why human consumption? Animal rights and animal welfare, it's a really hot topic today. Welfare means animal husbandry, and all that that implies. It means anywhere from nutrition, through housing, through performance-related issues, recreational-related issues with our animals. It's all about treating an animal from point A to point B in its life as humanely as possible. Now, animal rights advocacies are argue in addition to welfare, and they are welfare advocates, it's that they put a label on the rights of an animal. And who defines that right? Well, laws define the rights of an animal. The, what laws protect horses in the United States are animal cruelty laws, horse slaughter prevention laws, and the like. There are roughly seven of them. The issue is this. Where in the Constitution does it give rights to animals? Are animals in the United States that are on the domestic side are privately owned, and they fall under the purview of private property law? Nowhere in there is there an animal rights law. Right. So will it ever be that animal welfare advocates, like veterinarians, for instance, will fall into lockstep with animal rights advocates, and let's, there are some humane organizations that are animal rights activists? So defining it that way suggests that if you are an animal welfare advocate, you still believe in private property law. If you're an animal rights advocate, you believe that animals should have the same rights as humans. There, there's a, another uh, trigger point, like we talked about earlier, with the calling it the free-roaming horse. That You just hit on something that I think is a big deal, the difference in animal welfare and animal rights. Well, Dr. Don, we talk about animal welfare and animal rights. Uh, the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association has an animal welfare section uh, with tons of rules in the rule book, as does the International Professional Rodeo Association. And uh, there was one one quote in your book to uh, where a friend of yours had said something about uh, wanting to keep horses away from uh, from uh, the slaughter and also the abuse of rodeo. Do you think that rodeo is possibly an option for an extension of life for these horses that are pinned up as wild horses? Alan, uh, that's a great question, but let me make sure that we that the quote is correct. The provision for the White Sands Missile Range horses and for Department of Interior right. wild horses adopted out into the public is that they can not be used as bucking stock in rodeo. White Sands Missile Range specifically, we prohibited people from, and they signed a contract to the extent that they would not use them for bucking stock, but they could be used back into ranch life, they could be used into racing life, they could be used for roping, riding, and wrangling, as long as it wasn't strictly as bucking stock. The provision we put in there in order to calm the effects of animal activist groups right. worried that the horses would be bucking stock. There, we didn't have a single argument across the nation from anybody in the rodeo world suggesting that we had limited them too far. The 2,000 horses that we adopted could certainly find work, a good job in the rodeo circuit, just not as bucking stock. So I want to be careful that, that my quote is uh, understood with respect to rodeo. I am a pro-rodeo advocate. 
In fact, my, my father was partners with the, with the gentleman that built and, and funded the PRCA um, administration office in Colorado Springs, Colorado, Ed Hanen. Right. And I, I, am, I am very much in favor of what I consider the epitome of American Western life. That's pro-rodeo. With respect to how pro-rodeo takes care of their animals, stock contractors take care of their animals, it is my observation personally that those animals are some of the best, take, uh, best provided for animals anywhere across the globe. And I, I would stand behind that discussion anywhere. I would take people and show them how well they're taken care of. Can we, can we argue that every single stock contractor handles their horses identically? No way to argue that point. It is private property. By and well, large, that's like, as a that's veterinarian... Like trying to, that's like, I'm sorry. That's like trying to, to argue that every person that's allowed to own a dog treats them the same. But, but I think you're very right in, in the fact that, by and large, rodeo animals, whether it be the, the rust stock or the timed event animals, the, the big injustice to me is that they're treated a lot better than a lot of kids in this world. My, my horse has mortality, health insurance, goes to chiropractor, right. the dentist, gets new shoes every five weeks. And all the medicines and, and supplements that they need to keep them healthy as well and keep them right. running. And, and I realize bucking horses don't get all that, but it sure seems like a better option than uh, being stood up in a pen for months on time or, or being euthanized. And, and it, requires, it requires moral and subjective evaluation right. to determine what is responsible horse ownership, what is responsible stewardship. Now, I won't spend my time with a person that doesn't take care of their animals. In fact, sure. I will point them out when they don't take care of their animals. I will spend my first professional moment uh, uh, discussing with them better ways to handle their animal and how to take care of them. Very, very few people neglect their animals if there isn't something critical going on in the human life. The trouble is, is that we filled up our our sanctuaries and our rescue leagues and on and on, and we need to turn back around and have a cold, hard discussion about private property law and the end-of-life decisions that we make for our animals. Why can we not use that protein? harvest that protein if done so humanely and preferably under the care of a veterinarian whether it's at a multiple animal meat processing plant or not and so public first thing you have to do is stop uh, reverse the destruction of the wild horse act to get commercial protections back on top of the free roaming horse so they don't have any potential whatsoever to hit a packing plant you remove that argument, and you will see that advocacy die away back to protecting the free-roaming horse, and you will see the domestic side pool be un, uh, untethered from the restrictions of the gutting of the Wild Horse Act. That's the first thing that has to be done, in my estimation. Second thing is education. We've discussed it. Educate anybody and everybody and quit pointing fingers at pro-rodeo. Pro rodeos, animals are taken care of better than 95% of the other animals that I see. Okay, and the fact that we use them in uh, athletic endeavors is a testament to the quality of the animal. The, the next thing we need to do is take a look at making sure that backyard people who don't want horses understand how breeding occurs. There needs to be a bees and the birds discussion with some horse owners. For those that want to stop breeding all the time, 
There are, is a vaccine that's coming around to be on the market in three or four years called Donicon. It stops all behavior in both male and female of the horse for three to four years. It's got a couple of drawbacks. One in 10,000 might end up being sterile. But that will really help slow down the backyard full production. That will slow down how many horses might end up. But remember, uh, uh, might end up unwanted. But remember, it's 1%. We are dealing with 9 million horses a year, and only 1% are fall into the category of unwanted. So let's don't let the word unwanted get larger than the number of horses and I know in that, that pool. And I know that you're very involved in the management in the wild of free-roaming horses. Is, is, would this be an option to, uh, to, to inject some of the mares or the stallions or what with this medicine? Uh, uh, to control the population of wild horses, uh, to help us out with that in the future. We're, we're working desperately right now with North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine, uh, myself, U.S. Department of Agriculture, who owns the intellectual property, on some of the vaccine. There are other vaccines that act at the level of the ovary. The one I spoke of, the Gonicon vaccine, uh, operates at the level of the brain. To, to stop all behavior activity, uh, uh, turning a mare into gelding in behavior and a stallion into a gelding in behavior is is uh, admirable in some instances. Yeah. The fertility I think we need it for men. <laughs> the fertility control or the contraception that's used in the free roaming horses came by virtue of studies in the deer, and they the wildlife is controlled by the EPA. Those vaccines, including Gonicon, are approved for use in deer and in Mustangs. And so it's being tested on Mustangs, has been tested for more than 10 years on Mustangs, all fertility control contraception. We are now moving that idea over to the domestic side horse, especially the performance and backyard horses where 85% of our uh, horses are pooled, that, that we can now start controlling as soon as FDA approves it, which could be a two- or a three-year period yet, FDA approve it when we show ill effects of the vaccine. It has no effect whatsoever in the consumption of meat tissue from any animal that uses this kind of vaccine. And so we have to march through the FDA approval as opposed to EPA when it's on the domestic side. Do we want to use it? I think it will be very, very valuable. Remember, there's some downsides. And the downside is this. When you narrow the genetic pool by... Uh, inbreeding or line breeding animals, whether it's a horse or a ferret, doesn't matter. When you do that, you narrow the genetic pool. We need to be careful about how narrow that pool is. We start finding deleterious recessive genes that show up, lethal genes that show up, feet that are too small, horses that are too small. We have to be a little bit careful about how we breed. That's absolutely, we've already seen the, the reduction in the size of horses' feet, and, and that's that's a whole other conversation, but that's inadvertently affected how, how these horses hold their soundness in performance horses. Let me ask you a basic question. How does somebody go about adopting a horse? How do people in general feel about adopting a horse? No, no. How do they, what's the process of adopting these horses? If we're speaking about Mustangs from the Department of the Interior and the adoption, go to the BLM Department of Interior website and you will get more reading than you know what you 
Action Anvil, which you go to their website, Department of the Interior, Bureau of Land Management, Adopt a Horse Program. Just Google it. You'll get tons of information. That's how people go about adopting it. There are rules and regulations. There is a small fee of $125. I encourage you, but I also want you to understand what you are, what piece of pie you're biting off there, how large that chunk of cake is. And that is this. A free-roaming horse is she exhibits all the characteristics of what could be considered a wild horse. It's not for the average person. Don't adopt something you can't handle and with facilities you can't handle them. In. Be sure you can do that. The BRM back will to the tell education. you you can. Yes, they will look into this and they will tell you if you have the right ability. But be sure not to adopt something you shouldn't adopt. Also, on the other side of that coin, let's manage our free-roaming horses in the wild and stop capturing them for adoption. If we're going to capture them from adoption, please use the prison training programs to gentle them before we put them on the domestic pool. They will then have a far less likelihood of ending up an unwanted horse. Now, you mentioned the prison gentling program. Uh, expound on that just a little bit. I know you, you, uh, you were instrumental in a lot of that in New Mexico at some of the prisons and uh, and we talked about the therapy not only for the horse but for the person as well. Uh, explain to folks once again just a recap of, of what that is when you talk about the prison gentling program. The, the prison inmate wild horse training centers that were in New Mexico are, are being discussed again. Those programs were sent to other prisons throughout uh, the western United States. I've been in conversations with North Carolina's Prison Corrections Department about establishing a program here for the Lumbee uh, Native American tribe. In general, here's what it is. It's a men, uh, mud, and mustangs combined together for a win-win-win. The horses are housed in adobe corrals. The solid wall enclosures limit the, the, the amount of injury that a horse um, might have, uh, incur if they were in just pipe and rail fencing. And that w what it teaches the prison inmate and I had many thousands go through our program training many thousands of horses. What it teaches them is that the horse is a mirror of the human behavior. Right. And it mirrors the behavior just like a mirror. It is a barometer of your etiquette, of your body language, your vocalizations, and tells you precisely how the world sees you as a human being. The, the response from that program was phenomenal, even though garnering empirical data about uh, following a prisoner around after he gets out and meets his parole obligations is not something you can do. So empirical data isn't so rapidly available as I would like to see it. But I do know this, the thousands of letters that I got from families of inmates that left prison, didn't return to prison, have found other ways of handling their behavior was a, a tribute to the great program Bill Richardson set up, governor, currently governor of New Mexico. Governor now, New Mexico. And, is, and he is in the state of New Mexico, and he is right now as governor administrating and getting ready to orchestrate another prison training program in the state of New Mexico with the New Mexico Mustang and Borough Association. So go to the New Mexico Mustang and Borough Association, take a look at their website, see what they're doing with the governor right now. I'm an, an, an advisor to that group. My former partner, Dr. Mike Callahan in Pecos, New Mexico, is an on-site advisor. And we have a lot of support for dealing with the, uh, some of the unwanted horses or horses that might become unwanted as a result of nobody can handle them. Let the prisoner train them. Well, and I think the big thing that you touched on is the, the percentage that dropped of those inmates returning back to prison. 
Yes, we were. I was told, uh, and again, it's hard to get empir actual empirical data from the prisons as well. But the the um, Department of Corrections people told me ten years after I moved on to other endeavors that normally eight out of ten go back to prison. That is, prisoners head back to prison for various and sundry reasons. Two in ten of the group that went through our program are back in prison that ten years later. And so when I'm asked, you know, do you think you've ever done anything that's made the world a better place? It's that one that I point to, because that's a pretty big the, one. The tears, the pretty tears big feather in your hat. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm very pleased about that. I would love to see those programs in every way that we can. They're tightly controlled. Prisoners are allowed no violence whatsoever, and never once did I send a prisoner back in inside the bars of the prison for violence. Not one single time. Well, that's pretty remarkable in itself. Uh, Dr. Don, I want to back up just one minute, because uh, so many times, and I want to get back into the uh, uh, responsible adoption that we've been talking about. Can you, should you, uh, you know, so many times I've been sitting there watching television, and, and you'll see a, a, an image of a celebrity, say Sally Struthers, uh, talking about the hard times of, of some children in foreign countries, and uh, for just so much a month, uh, they'll send you this picture. Is, is there a way, has anybody thought of a program to where folks could maybe adopt a horse without actually taking a hold of the horse, uh, have some photos of them every now and then, to, to help with some relief of the cost of, of the horses that are in captivity from the wild, uh, to give them an ownership of a horse uh, uh, without actually ever having the horse? I mean, it just seems like that might be an option. I don't know if it's been thought of or talked about or, or if I'm just in a dream there. A good question, though, Alan. You get a star for that one. <laughs> That is, I, I concur with Jimmy, that is really a good question. And yes, places like the American Mustang and Burrow Association, the New Mexico Mustang and Burrow Association, the um, horse uh, Mustang trainer challenges that you can Google online all have donation potential. Even the Department of Interior has dollar donation potential. You're not going to actually take receipt of a horse, but you can provide a few dollars here and there to help offset and defray the cost of uh, training a horse, and you will find many, many avenues of very responsible people that can help that those dollars that you would donate as a horse advocate to the training of these horses and helping with sanctuaries. The, the thing that I consider uh, important for sanctuaries and rescue groups of horses, both uh, privately owned and the Mustang groups, is to understand that we have to go to the we have to slow down the amount of breeding, in my estimation, for horses that don't have potential into the future. That doesn't mean so much the breed registries, but more the backyard horse. Right. Stop the breeding in the backyard horse and make sure you have a program for breeding before you accidentally get involved in it. And so we want to find ways to limit those horses so they don't become unwanted. But if kind citizens and good humanitarian orientation would help somebody put a $10 or a $100 check into the donation for the training of the, um, the Mustang challenges, I am all, I'm all for it. I'm completely in support of it. Oh, and that, that is just so cool. That, that, uh, and I mean, heck, I, I'm going to get in on that, and I believe Jimmy K. will, and, uh, and uh, all of our listeners at uh, westernradioshow.com, uh, just, just listen to those websites and uh, to where you can get it done. Dr. Don Hoagland, uh, folks, the book is, uh, the book is uh, Horses of the White Sand, actually the Wild Herds of the White Sands, Nobody's Horses, and, and they're all somebody's horses. There's 2,000 of them. Dr. Don, thanks for joining us again to expound on the information about uh, the unwanted horse, the wild horse, 
and uh, and the free roaming horse and what they are. And uh, there's so many other topics. Uh, could we count on you to come back on uh, Western Radio Show again with some other topics in the future? It's my pleasure. You're doing a great job for our, the history of our West and for our modern-day cowboy. Thank you for what you do. Well, and thank you. I want to thank you for what you've done for our society, not only for our animals, but even the prison program that you've done. Thank you so much for what you've given. It, it, you know, they say you can judge a man by what he's left behind, and wow, you're not even done living, and you've done so much. <laughs> oh, he's got so much right here. Again, that, and again, that website is www.nobodyshorses.com. Uh, I believe he's got a, uh, an email link there. And uh, if you've enjoyed listening to Dr. Don Hoagland, give him an email. Tell him what he means to you and what he means to the horses and, uh, and us as an association. Dr. Don, thank you, and we look forward to having you on again in the future. Thank you. With, with the Happy Trail. Show well, Helene and I are back here on the Stable Scoop Show. We thank our friends over at the Western Radio Show, Alan and Jimmy Kay, for letting us borrow those interviews. We hope you found them informative and educational. And next week, we will be back with some silliness, which we'll tell you about right after this commercial from Equestrian Collections. Hi, Glenn the Geek here. One of the reasons I am so proud to have Equestrian Collections as a sponsor on the Horse Radio Network is they are one of the most innovative companies in the equine retail world. Their website is so easy to get around and offers so much for the shopper. One of those things it offers is numerous online catalogs. Flip through the pages just like a real catalog. Find something you like. Click on it and buy it immediately. One of the catalogs up there right now is the summer tent sale catalog loaded with savings. Five pages of savings. So you go to equestriancollections.com and click on the tent sale catalog right there on the home page. And flip away, find stuff you like, and buy it right there off the catalog. It's so cool. That's something you can't do when you're sitting on your couch with a catalog. So you can check out all the different catalogs available at equestriancollections.com. And, you know, we always say it, but it's true. Equestrian Collections does provide the universe of equestrian shopping at your fingertips at a price you can afford. Well, Helena, I think two serious shows in a row was probably enough for us, huh? Yeah, that's good. I'm good for the year. I'm good for the year. Well, we have some fun shows planned, like next week. You remember, Helena and I, uh, we have talked about in the past that we did a show together called The Talking Equine Show. It was one of the first online radio shows for the horse world, and years ago, it seems like ages. And we had a guest on that we really liked, and we wanted to bring back and get an update. It was that was th- over three years ago that we talked to her. Oh, and, ages, <laughs> ages. Seems like a lot's happened. Between well, you know what? It's true. In, in, in today's like you know dot com centered world, yeah, that's years, like a hundred years. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> in internet time, like dog time, that's a hundred. Yeah, yeah, years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And her name is Shauna Koresh, and she was the one that really started on target training and clicker training, and she's a lot of fun, so we decided to have her back, and we'll be speaking with her next week, and we'll be back to normal next week, too, with Helene and I just goofing off and having a good time chatting about it. I'll be back to normal for you. I think it's a lost cause. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Shauna and I, if you're looking for normal, (laughs) listen to the interview with Shauna. If you want to learn about clicker training and on target training, if you want silliness, (laughs) listen to Glenn. I just hit the mute button whenever he talks. Oh, that's oh, you can do that too, I guess, but you never know when I'm going to be off and you're going to be on, so people miss you too. It's true. Well, you can find our show notes at StableScoop.com with all the links to today's guests and also everything that we've done in the past. You can listen, go back and listen, like some of our listeners wrote to us this week, are actually going back to episode one and starting over. So 
if you want to truly go insane, just uh, listen from episode one on every day, all day, and that will drive you nuts. <laughs> but you can do that. That's one of the nice things about podcasts. Uh, you can drop us feedback on our contact link on the website. We, sh- we sure do like getting emails like Susan and Amy's. So you can drop us an email. We'd appreciate it. And you can follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio and Helena at Helena underscore B-E-E. We thank our newest sponsor, Omega Alpha, and also Equestrian Collections for being part of the show. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Well, I think that's it, Helena. (laughs) I hope that's it. I think that's about all we have to talk about. I think I'm all talked out. Those cowboys, well, well, wrong show. Blooper reel. blooper reel. You know what, people? You really need to get the blooper reel. When we put out a blooper reel episode, <laughs> it's funny because it's going to be chock full. <laughs> it's like two hours a week we record, and I can't even get that straight. <laughs> well, Helena, we'll be back next week with Shauna Koresh and On Target Training. Oh, wait, am I starting? Yeah, up. I usually do, so I was just <laughs> oh. waiting. <laughs> I can do it. No no, no, no. This is episode 100 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. The unwanted horse part. No, this is not. We don't know what that's going to be. No, it's the unwanted horse part two. We're putting the second half of that oh, in it. Okay. Yeah. Cut. <laughs> and don't forget, you. Oh, crap. You know what? <laughs> Blooper reel. Blooper reel. Sorry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>